Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Hope everybody's excited about living for Jesus today. Amen. Good. Good for you. And uh, excited about gathering with God's people in his sanctuary, I mean his church, his sanctuary. Uh, what else do I have down here? Um, okay. Yeah, how to honor God through life's trials. That's pretty much this whole study, how to honor God through life's trials. So I'm going to pray, and then I have a project for you to, to do, to, to interact with. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day to come out, worship with your people, be encouraged by one another, to hear the word of God, to dig back into the Old Testament here in Psalm 73, where this man dealt with his life before you and how we see him making his progress to the point where he is rejoicing in you, even though he had troubles. And Lord, we pray for the uh, ministry of the word this after, or later on uh, this morning. Uh, we pray that you will bless that. And then tonight, thank you that we have your word, that we're committed to it. We thank you that it presents to us the gospel. Be with those, Father, who are going through hard times today. Some may be right here that we don't know about. But uh, news as has come that we weren't really looking forward to hearing, whatever it might be. We pray for John Wells, wherever he is in his um, situation with uh, his heart down there in Texas. We pray that you'll be with him and Carol. We just thank you for them. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. So we commit our time now to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay. Um, that last week I... Well, first of all, let me, let me ask you to do this. Take a pen, take a pen, and on your paper somewhere, write down, write down one real or potential trouble that you might face or are facing. Don't tell anybody. I'm not going to call on anybody. This is completely... What? Thank you. Confidential. Completely confidential. But just think about what's, what's, some, what's some trouble that I'm facing? The Bible talks about trouble. I talked about that before. Uh, it could be with friends. It could be in the family. It could be with your job. It could be with your finances, with your house, with your car, with your... Jot down, what is a trouble? What are you facing that is trouble? It troubles you. It troubles you. Just write that down there. Uh, actually put it out on paper so you can actually look at it. Because I'm going to ask you to write something beside it then. So my trouble that I'm facing, how to handle trouble. This is Jay Adams' booklet, how to handle trouble. Uh, my trouble that I'm facing right now is, jot it down, maybe... Maybe school. Maybe my, I, I'm not doing very well at school. That's my trouble. Or uh, actually, I'm failing at school. Uh, Jay's got a whole list. You want me? I'll give them to you. Maybe, maybe this will spur up, uh, stir up an idea for you. Here's trouble. Your child has been run over by a drunken driver. Your husband or wife just left you. That would be trouble. Uh, you lose your job. You're falsely accused of stealing. 
you have an automobile accident. Anybody rear-end anybody? Especially, don't raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. Uh, you were texting, and all of a sudden, kwoomp, you ran right in the back of that guy. Kwoomp, I've heard those sounds. Kwoomp, boom, you know? You were texting. You, uh, your house burns down. Hopefully not, that didn't happen, but it could. Your unmarried daughter becomes pregnant. Your son's arrested for pushing drugs. Your unsaved mother dies. You lose everything you invested in the stock market. Well, we're kind of going up and down these days, aren't we? You were trusting in that nest egg, and man, it could get wiped out real fast. You don't know. Okay? Your basement floods. You disagree with your new preacher on several basic issues. Come and talk to us. We need to talk to you, if that's, if that's the case. Your church's youth program this year is, not, is very substandard. You're not happy with the preaching in your church. Sorry about that. Uh, you are under pressure to change jobs. You're having trouble selling your house. Your automobile throws a rod. Do cars still throw rods? They still throw rods. Your doctor says you have cancer. When cancer interrupts, Dave Pallison, one of the leading lights in the biblical counseling movement, four, four cases of cancer he faced. Your PhD advisor doesn't like you. <laughs> Your application was turned down. Okay. All right. <clears throat> now, you wrote it down? Good. Here's the thing you want to write under it. God is in that problem. God is in that problem. And as soon as you put that under, beside, over your problem, your thing that you are facing that you really don't like, and you put God is in that problem, it just changes everything. It just, oh, it just makes it so much better when God is in that problem. That's kind of what we're talking about here in Psalm 73. Uh, I, I just thought about this morning. What's, it, what's the whole thing about? We don't want to get lost in the details, but it's how to honor God through life's trials, knowing that God is in it. God is not separate. We don't serve a deistic God who created everything and then took off and left us on our own. So uh, this morning we are in chapters 3B, that's in this book, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that's in this book, and 5, that's what we're covering this morning. Uh, by the way, did you read Job this morning? Job 1 and 2. You know, in spite of all these things, Job maintained his integrity. He wrote under it all. God is in this problem, even though I don't understand it. God is in this. He's going to go through some real, even his wife said, curse God and die. But God held his integrity, held to his trust in the Lord. Uh, Randy Alcorn made a comment about something like that. Whatever God takes away belong to him in the first place. That's a great truth. Whatever God takes away your camels, your sheep, your goats, your oxen, your children. Whatever God takes away, it wasn't yours in the first place. It was God. He gave these things to us. So um, let's read. I'm going to read. Uh, what do we have up here? 
not sure if I put the whole thing. Yeah, okay. I'm going to start reading there at verse 16, and I just want to read down to the end. Uh, Psalm 73, verse 16, if you want to follow along in your Bible. Uh, when I, this is, yeah. When I pondered to understand this, what he's going through, that he would... Uh, anyway, I'm not going to... When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome to my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. We bumped into that last week. We're going to finish that out this week. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. He's talking about the ungodly. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment, in an instant. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast because he wasn't thinking about what God was doing. Before you, nevertheless, that's, this is next week, nevertheless, turning point of this whole psalm, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. What a great verse. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, now he's a long ways for when he started back in verse 2, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. Now you come to verse 28, but as for me... The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So this is, this is really the greatest, this last section is the greatest part of this psalm. This is a wonderful psalm. If you're ever working with someone and you, you, know, you want them to get their eyes on the Lord, just tell them to take Psalm 73 and go through every verse and write something. How does that verse help me in my Walk with God and put it on a piece of paper and as a project because it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful opportunity. Now this this morning, we are talking about like last week we were talking about thinking biblically, spiritually rather than rationally. Remember that you got two ways of looking at life. You're interpreting life either just as a human being like everybody else does, or you're you're interpreting life as a as a Christian with spiritual understanding. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we're able to interpret life spiritually slash biblically. We want to look at life and think biblically. Now, the question is how to promote spiritual thinking. How to promote spiritual thinking. And we have this in verses uh, 15 and I think, what is it, 17? Or 17? Anyway, we're, we're looking at how to promote spiritual thinking, breaking out of this rational thinking that he was into. Man, I might as well, what good's it been for me to live for God? Everything's going terrible. God, what are, where are you anyway? You know, what, how, do you, how do you treat me? This is ridiculous. No, now we're going down and we're beginning to think spiritually. So what helps us to do this? How do we do that? First of all, 
by going to God's house. That's in verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Now, for the psalmist, he's probably thinking about, I I think I said this last week, he's probably thinking about the literal temple. The literal temple. He's thinking about going to the temple. He's going to worship God. For us, we don't have a temple in Israel that we go to. The church. The church is the sanctuary of God. It is where we come to hear God's truth. It's where we come to get our thinking changed. And that's what it's all about. God provides the church for us. We come into the church, the body of Christ. Now, it could be Sunday morning like right now. uh, later on, 10 o'clock, or it could be small group. It's the church, God's people. You come in there, and you, you, you have brothers and sisters who are also going through hard times. They are also having troubles. Something happened this week. Uh, imagine if you were that 24-year-old uh, girl up there in Rochester. Got up in the morning, got dressed, got herself all fixed up, got into her pickup truck, headed out to work, and all of a sudden her life totally changed drastically when she hit those three and killed those three uh, school children. You know, you, never, you don't know what's coming down the road. You, you, you might miss those blinking lights, which she apparently did. Uh, you just don't know what's coming. So um, when you come into church, other people are going through problems. Somebody else got a diagnosis of cancer. Somebody else is struggling at work and perhaps is going to lose all kinds of other issues that others. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There's no temptation taken us, but such as is what? Common to man. So we're all going through issues. We come into the church. We come into the people of God. Some of the greatest saints in church history have suffered far worse than we will ever suffer. Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? You just need to take that in very small doses. Just, you know, three, three pages maybe at a time. But uh, amazing, the things that you can see that other believers have suffered. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I think I, do I have that up there? Yes, I do. It is a very foolish Christian who does not attend the sanctuary of God as often as they can. So I just want to stop here just for a moment. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? Do you go to church to feel better or to be soothed or to be entertained, to be distracted from your problem for a while? Or do you go to church to understand That's what he did. When he went into the sanctuary, then he perceived. He's talking about the lost people there. He perceived their end. But then he began to get good understanding. He was struggling until he went there. Christianity is not a drug to make you forget all your problems, pack them into your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. For too many For too many, church, religion, even Christianity is indeed the opium of the masses, as Karl Marx described it, where you go to sort of forget all your... Remember Petra Clark? Downtown. Let's go downtown. That's where you forget all your troubles, and you just, you know, you hum and sing, and everything's great and hunky-dory. That's not why you go to church, just to sort of check out, feel good, be entertained. The music's uplifting. You have a little inspiring sermon. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, "People, this is how people view the church. They're not interested in an exposition of the truth. 
They're only interested in some general soothing effect, and while they're in the service, they forget their troubles. The music, the atmosphere, the beautiful stained windows, um, all designed to take your attention off your problems. As someone has said, people go to church to hear sermonettes for Christianettes. No, we gather to church, we go to that sanctuary so that we literally begin to think biblically and not humanly. We begin to think God's thoughts, not human, not rational thoughts. Big issue here. The real test of your experience in church is if it gives you understanding, if it helps you think spiritually about your circumstances. Um, By the way, going to church, here we are. What is it? November the 4th, 2018. We're in this church right here. We are part of a long series of churches. The churches, just like us, people who believe in Christ. We've been doing this for 2,000 years. And going into the church, I know we, I don't think about this all the time, but we ought to stop and think about it. Now, wait a minute. We are part of this amazing history we are part of church history and it helps us it it reminds us you know it's not just us ancient history didn't start with eisenhower we are part of a long history of church can you trace your way back from here today 2018 can you trace your way back to the to the uh, first century thinking through let me do that with you right now real quickly i want to do that with you So here we are, 2018, we've come through the 1900s, we've come through the so-called evangelical movement with all of its uh, seeker-sensitive and all kinds of nonsense, and we go back and we come back into the early 1900s and you have the modernist fundamentalist movement when liberalism came storming into the Protestant churches and they became liberal and the fundamentalists stood up and said you know we need to fight this and you had that you go back further you have you know about the same time you have Machen and you have Princeton but you go back a little bit further into the 1800s and who do we hear preaching over in England Spurgeon 1800s and uh, what else is 1800 you go back into the 1700s and here we have the great awakening we have George Whitfield preaching and churches gathering on the eastern seacoast of the United States in the early, in the mid-1700s. Jonathan Edwards is up there in New England, and this is all part of the church. We're part of all this. And this helps us to, hey, you know, it's not all about me. It's not my problems. Everybody's had problems. You keep on going. I'm not done yet. You keep on going. 1700s, the Great Awakening. You go up back into the 1600s. And what do we find in the 1600s in England? We find the Puritans. That's when the Puritans lived, 1600s. And we, we come back into the 1500s. What happened in the 1500s? That's the Protestant Reformation. And we're part of that. We're part of the flow. Well, not, it's not up there right now, but we're part of the solas of this Reformation. We're, we're part of this church. That's why Christians need to really, uh, to some degree at least, become familiar with church history. And you go back further, before the Reformation, what do we have then? Well, we have the pre-reformers. We have uh, uh, Huss, Huss burned at the stake. We have Wycliffe up in England, translating the Bible from Latin to English, and so on. 
illegally. Not allowed to do it. And you keep on going back. Then you go into the Middle Ages. Were there Christians in the Middle Ages? Who were they? Does anybody know any Christians in the Middle Ages? Huh? Do you ever hear of the Waldensians? Peter Waldo, 1300 to 1500. These people rejected the, the sacramental system of the Catholic Church. They thrived in southern France and northern Italy in the Alps, in the mountains, in the gorges. They hid out there and uh, evangelists went around from door to door, from village to village selling wares, pans, pots and everything. And they would say, have you anything else to sell? And they would say, well, we have a book here. And they'd be interested in that book as the Bible or even pieces of the Bible. And so anyway, I love the, uh, the, uh, to read about the Waldensians. I mean, the Pope sent, sent armies to try to stamp out the Waldensians. I mean, in one case, they were, all these Waldensian people, women, children, men, they got into this big cave way back in there. And they stood at the front of the cave and tried to fight off the, the soldiers that were trying to kill them all because they were under orders. They were told, if you kill them all, you get to go to heaven straight. Forget about purgatory. You just go straight to heaven. And so they said, the, the enemy sent, set up a fire in the cave entrance and the smoke went in there and basically just killed all the people that were in there. And there's many more stories of the Waldensians. In fact, um, Hanalah, John, I think it's John Hanalah, uh, he, he has a book, that the first chapter is all about those Waldensians, and it's just like, wow, uh, it's amazing. But anyway, so you go back before then, and you, you, you have pockets of believers, obviously, God always has his people, but then you have the early church, you have the martyrs of the early church, you have the churches of, 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 the, of the Bible, you know, the Re, uh, Re, Revelation churches, those seven churches, churches at Paul. So in other words, the point here is, when you go into the sanctuary of God, you're connecting. I got my problem. You know, my problem. My water heater quit. I had to take a cold shower this morning. Not, not literally, but it happens. Oh, my goodness, I got all these problems. You go to the church and you find out, wow, man, there's other people with problems. And I'm part of a long line. Isn't that wonderful? When we get to heaven and we get to talk with all these people that were there. Anyway, that's for free. Second, second, how do we get thinking spiritually? How do we get thinking about our problems biblically, spiritually, not humanly, rationally? By the way, remember when Peter, Peter rebuked Jesus? Never will they do that to you, Jesus, in Matthew 16. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are looking at things from human viewpoint, not from God's viewpoint. He rebuked him for that. He wasn't thinking uh, spiritually, biblically. The second is going to God's word. Yeah, there it is. Because the Bible, here's how you get your thinking changed around. You guys know this, I know, but the Bible explains life. We have the church, then we have the Bible, and we read it, and we, we have to keep reading it. This morning, if you're reading through, I know Exodus, man, that was tough last, yesterday. I mean, what am I getting out of that? If you read Exodus yesterday in our reading, whew, yikes. But today, it was Job 1 and 2. And man, you're going to find some interesting, challenging things there. The Bible explains life. Life is full of problems. Life has troubles. And the Bible talks about 
troubles. The Bible talks about betrayal of Joseph sold into Egypt, the providence of God. You see it there. What else do I have here? Read the great teaching and doctrines and biblical history and remind yourself of God's gracious promise, promises. Reading these Psalms, all the emotions that these guys, these people went through. Thoughtful reading of God's word delivers us from the rationalistic thinking and develops spiritual thinking, looking at your life from God's viewpoint. And I love, did I put this up there? I'm not sure if. No, I didn't. I love uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Who wants to quote that for us? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Good. I beseech you, <laughs> Lisa, nice and loud. Excellent. Amen. And that was in King James. That's very good. You can sort of paraphrase it. Don't be conformed to this world's way of thinking. When he says don't be conformed to this world, what does he mean? This world's way of thinking, right? But be transformed so that you are thinking about life biblically so that you can discern what God's will is. The third one is by prayer and meditation. Oh, I think I, yeah, okay. By prayer and meditation. Um, this is all really coming out of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says here, under prayer and meditation, now be careful. You know, I've got a problem. Well, what have you done about it? Well, I prayed about it. Okay. How do you look at prayer? Is it a rabbit's foot? You know, is prayer like something that you do that, that's it? Okay, we're good now. No, um, by prayer and meditation, but... Prayer meditation should be backed with God's truth, informing your praying, informing it. George Mueller, many of you probably read the, about George and how uh, he, for a long time, tried to read the Bible first thing in the morning. I mean, he tried to pray first thing in the morning, excuse me, and then he um, came to realize, no, I need to meditate in the Word so that when I pray, and I do pray, and he does pray, and, but, but that praying comes out of the Word of God as you're reading the Scripture. So this morning, if you read 1 Corinthians 1, you can, re you can respond to God in prayer, how, how He's been faithful. He who called you is faithful, and He's going to bring it about. Thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God. Otherwise, as you remember, Don Whitney was here. He said, you say the same, the same old things over and over again. If you use the Scripture to pray, then you've got something fresh to pray about, especially in the area of adoration and worship and, and so on. You're not just saying the same old thing. Uh, I, when I was a kid, remember, remember when you were a kid, Lord's Prayer, you know, you dive down the side of your bed, our Father art in heaven, love you, and the kingdom come, blah, 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 and boom, into the bed you went. Yeah. Is that really praying? I don't think so. <laughs> Thoughtful praying, which... I don't think I have this in there. Do I have it up there? Yes. Using the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if we'd had more time, I'd... You, you know, you can go through that Lord's Prayer and just pray that. As you're in facing trouble, Lord, you are my Father. You are holy. Lord, your kingdom is far more important than my little life. 
you know, and just go on through that. I can't, your will, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. I'm submitting my heart to you. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And just working with, thank you so much for giving my, me the cereal and banana that I ate this morning because we know that it all comes from you. And uh, Lord, help me to be forgiving because thank you so much that you forgave me. On and on and on you go. And uh, those kind of prayers in the scripture are so good. So any thoughts on this so far as we're going along? Anybody have an idea that, yeah, you know, you should have said this. Somebody help me out here. Don't let me stand up here all by myself. What happens if we can't go to church? That's a good question. And your answer to Darren is? The church comes to you. <laughs> Right. It is where God is. Yes. In a special way. Yes. Okay. We're going to have to open. So Darren's concern is, what if we can't go to church? Or Joel? Well, that's one thing you can do. Yeah. Joe? Grace to you dot org. Lots of ways, of course, to hear sermons. But you still, and you know, there are times, there are times, you know, Carol Klug is in, she's in the nursing home. I mean, she's not able to come to church. There are times when you get there, but those are the exceptions. Those are the exceptions. And then you do everything you can. If you're working Sunday morning, I mean, you know, you make sure you're in small group, you listen on the radio, on the internet. Oh, I'm sorry, Darren. We ah ah. Darren's going ahead for us. If it's illegal to gather, like with the Waldensians, then we gather wherever we can. God will take care of us. He's not, you know, he's not forgetting us. He's with us, and so we'll have to. And they do it today. They do it today, don't they? Do it in certain countries. Yeah, third world countries where, you know, down in Africa, some of those little sub-countries sub in Africa, man, I'm telling you what, they're, they're fighting each other, and where do you go? Or China, I don't know, China, I think they're meeting a little bit more than sometimes we think they are. But. So the definition of sanctuary of God can change. The definition of sanctuary, yes, but it is God's people. It's God's people, and that's, that's true. It's not this building right here, for sure. Mike. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. The uh, for the psalmist is probably literal sanctuary. For us, it's a metaphor. But uh, the only thing is, if you are going to end up in solitary confinement, it would really have been good if you spent a lot of time before that memorizing scripture, you know, yeah, reading, reading good books. Look, none of us have any excuse unless we just absolutely can't read for not reading good books today. There are so many. Rick. The...
Okay. No, I don't think so, but if they're mumbling scripture, that's good. <laughs> I, you know? Pastor. If they're trying to... Yeah. I believe in solitary confinement, you can request a pastor. Well... Okay. Um, you have to... Okay. I'm going to have to repeat everything here, but... Uh, if you're in solitary confinement, now you're thinking about here in America, if they put you in solitary confinement, you get, a, you get a pastor to visit with you. However, I think you're thinking more about out there where it's illegal and you're throwing, you know, when they start throwing Christians in, in, in jail for being Christians. Hey, let's go on. Spiritual thinking versus rational human thinking. Now, in the, in the text, in the text, you get the verse 17 of chapter uh, 73, Psalm 73. Notice, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. I just want to really focus on that for a minute. Their end. Always think about the end of the matter, both for yourself and for others. What is the end of this? Now here, he he was jealous of all these unbelievers who were having, they were just having a great life. They were rocking it out and they, they were making money hand over fist, driving around in Bugattis and everything else. And uh, they were just having a blast. And here he was suffering, struggling. Is it really even worth it? But now he came into God's place where God is, where God's knowledge is, the Bible, Scripture, and he perceives something. He begins to understand, wait a minute, what's the end of the matter? And if you look up in your, your uh, what's that thing I have in, well, no, on the laptop. My, my sword or e-sword or whatever your Apple device has, and you have the little letters that tell you the Hebrew, and you click on that and you do a search through the Old Testament of this word. It's worth studying. Have you ever heard of, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end, end is the way of death. What is the end of this thing that I'm doing? That is so important. You know, they're, they're just having a high old time, and man, they are entering into the broad gate, these lost people. They're, having, they're entering into the broad gate. They don't need, I don't need, we don't need religion. We don't, we're atheists, agnostics, whatever you want to call us. We're just having a good time partying, making money, having children. Man, our kids are, they're the best in the world. Look at my bumper sticker. Mine are better than yours, yada, yada, yada. On and on we go. But what's the end of that matter? That's what he's talking about here. Think about Spiritual understanding always goes to the end. Uh, Jeremiah 5.31. Hey, while I'm looking, would somebody, who would look that verse up? Jeremiah 5.31. Please do somebody, say you will. Dick, will you do? Okay, Justin. Justin's going to do it. And I'll call on you here in just a minute. Um, the gate looks good at the beginning, but where does it lead? People are pushing, shoving their way in, laughing, joking, cocksure they're going in at the right gate in the right path, mocking those going into the narrow gate, but they don't perceive their end. Spiritual thinking leads to spiritual understanding, and it goes to the end. These people have a totally skewed view of life 
as if this world is all there is. But there's an end coming. There's an end at the end of the path. And what does Jeremiah 5.31 say? What will you do when the end comes? That's just a, gr- just a great concept, the end. What is the end? Because we're all going to the end in this world. You're not going to escape it. There's an end. Is your end going to be? And as Psalm 37, yes, 37 says, mark the perfect man. And of course, it, it's describing a godly person, just like, like, like Job, like you if you're in Christ. Mark the and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the end of the wicked is death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is, the, is, the, uh, is death. And only Jesus, right? Only Jesus can keep us from going to that end. He changes the end for us. Any thoughts about that? You know, I've got examples here. Uh, Charles Darwin. What was the end of his life? What was the end? Wrote all that descent of man or whatever it is. What was the end of that man's life? H.G. Wells, man at the end of his tether. Or the mind at the end of his tether. Uh, What about Ernest Hemingway? Remember him? What an amazing man. I mean, I don't think there's hardly anybody who's ever had the experiences of Ernest Hemingway. In many, many different ways. Literature over at the war and everything else. And you know the end of his, you know what the end of his life was? I mean, a Sunday morning in, where was it? Idaho. I think it was in Idaho. He shot himself in the foyer of his home with a shotgun. Shot himself. Killed himself. That's the end of that man. What a sad, sad story. What's your end going to be? Will it be, as this psalmist goes uh, further, Hey, I have nothing good except God. He is my good. All right. Any thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, We're going to go really fast. Okay, you ready? Okay. Buckle up. Put on your seatbelt. Understanding. Biblical, spiritual thinking gives us understanding. This man was so troubled, he went in the sanctuary, he began to understand things, the end of the wicked. And uh, here are some things that Martin Lloyd-Jones gives us. Here's what you realize as you get God's understanding. You realize that God, tr- God triumphs over all his enemies, always, always. He always triumphs. He, it, it may not look that way, but he always does. Think about biblical history. Remember when Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrians? It looked like the end was here for, the, for Jerusalem. 185,000 enemies of God, of God's people, surrounding Jerusalem. What happened? That night, the angel of the Lord went out there and killed every one of them. And in the morning, when they woke up, behold, they were all dead. I know. I like that. (laughs) Just love to tell that story. But it's true. You know, it's an example. You know, God brings the Babylonian Empire to an end, the Persian Empire to an end, the Greek Empire to an end, the Roman Empire to an end. You know, God is, and he is always victorious. He's not losing. 
and the Bible, of course, gives us many examples of that, you realize all things are under God's providential hand, even evil. And if you notice in our passage this morning up there in verse uh, 18, notice who's in charge of, of the wicked people's demise. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment, they are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. God is providential over all, even over the evil people. Um, and then you begin to rightly understand, and I want you to see this because this is some good stuff here. You begin to understand uh, triumphs, okay. Yeah, you begin to rightly understand the character of God. As we come into church, we learn the Bible, we get saved, we begin to learn the Bible, we begin to really begin to understand God. You know, He's not this lollipop thing that makes you feel good, tastes good, whatever. He is God. You know, he's this almighty, incredible God. And so you begin to think rightly about God's character. He is good, but He's also just. He is loving, but He's also holy and will judge sin. And uh, Martha Peace gives us a list of ways that, to discern whether we have a wrong uh, view of God's character. I just think these are good. I wanted to share them with you. Uh, if you're secretly angry of God, you might be saying things like this. After all I've done for God, look what he's done for me. Oh you know, or like a, a spouse who said, you know, can't God get my, spouse, my husband back? What kind of God is he? Doesn't he care about me? Angry at God. What kind, of, what kind of God is that? What would you tell that person after all I've done for God? Look what he's done for me. What would you tell him? Do what? Serves every bit of it. You're a meanie. <laughs> if you're not persuaded that God is good, because this guy was beginning to, he doubted that. He started out, surely God is good to Israel, but me. I almost slipped here. I, I was doubting this until I came into the sanctuary. If God were good, he would not have let my husband be killed in that accident. What about those parents up there in Rochester? What are they thinking about God? I have no idea who they are, but I put myself in their shoes. I'm going, wow, that would be really difficult. Your little twins and your, what, nine-year-old sister, brother, whatever. He was. Oh, my goodness. However, if God were good, he would not have let my husband be killed in that accident. What would you tell that person? Somebody besides Joel. He's... he's God is in it. We don't understand it, right? right? God is in it. We don't understand. We don't see the future. We didn't understand why the brothers sold Joseph to those slave traders. I mean, that's the worst thing. That Where's God there? Couldn't God save Joseph from being sold into slavery? Wow. That's one of the neat things about the Bible. You see the end of the story. You see the end of it. Uh, if you don't trust God, you might be thinking, I just know something horrible is going to happen. I can't stand it. If you're not grateful to God, something bad always happens to me. It's not fair. I should have known it wouldn't turn out like I hoped. Rather than being thankful to God, whatever's come, right? Wrong view of God. If you have embraced a false view of God's character, which all the others are also, but look, God certainly wasn't involved in that mass shooting or he would have stopped it. Okay, what's your answer to that now? Something besides, what is it, Dave? God's ways, are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. Yeah, I think, you know, last week, Isaiah 55, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts not our thoughts. We don't understand that, and you can't explain it to somebody. 
you just have to say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. You know, I mean, you just grieve with people. But by faith, by faith, by understanding, in view of the scripture, by understanding, we know that God was there. I mean, bottom line, we all deserve to be killed because we're all sinners. None of us deserve to continue living. But that's not a very nice thing to say to people in the midst of a crisis like that. We realize it. But yet, we know that God is in control, that he is providential. Nothing is outside of, which goes to the next one, nothing is outside of God's sovereign control. And here are two of these verses to really feast on. I love these verses, don't you? Our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. I'm so glad he does. Our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. We in our church here, and if you're visiting with us or not been with us, we believe that God is in control of all things. We believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm always amazed at how the one word that people tell me, man, I never heard of it. The one word they go away from our church and then talk about, that word sovereignty. God is sovereign. We love that word. If he's not in control, who is? <laughs> We're in big time trouble if he's not sovereign. But people don't think it through. You know, they don't, you know, if, if God wasn't there, who was there? Is Satan beating God? What's going on here? No, God is in control, even though we don't understand. Um, we don't understand it. Uh, oh, and then one final one. We're not going to get to the God wake up. I'll just say it. But, uh, whoops, did I miss it? Yeah, you realize that your God is faithful to keep his promise. Nevertheless, I am with you. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. He, ha he has not forsaken you no matter what happened. Uh, real quick story, real quick story about George Mueller. You know, he was the man in England who had the orphanages and uh, was a man of faith. He asked God for food and it showed up at the doorsteps. You know, he just, he had, I guess you'd call it a gift of faith. But uh, he was married, I think, 30 years to his dear wife and she died. And he did the funeral. And the verse he used is Psalm 119, 68, talking about God is faithful. Psalm 119, 68, in his time of trouble, for his wife's funeral, that psalm says about God, you are good and do good. You are good and you do good. Which, man, there's tons right there. And he preached three points from that sermon. You were good in giving her to me. You were good in letting her, giving her to me for so long, 30 years. And now you are good in taking her from me. Those were his three points. He believed that God was faithful to him and that God was good, which is an issue in this psalm. Remember, it starts off, surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, I wasn't so sure about that, but he's going to be sure about it. So, okay, uh, we're going to quit, sort of end right here, except for this. Why does God seem to be sleeping? That's, Martin Lloyd-Jones goes into that. It's, it's an interesting question. Why doesn't God do something? Why does he seem to be sleeping? And you have it in verse 
Where is that? 20? Yes, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. Why does God appear to be sleeping? And uh, you have some blanks there. Here, I'll tell you what. In a minute, we're going to go through them. Why does he, first of all, he's allowing sin to be revealed in all its ugliness. That's why he lets sin continue. So it is revealed in all, and is it revealed in ugliness? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Do you remember when the three men went to Lot's house in Sodom and Gomorrah? What did the men of Sodom and Gomorrah do? They clawed the door, insisting that Lot give them those men for their lust. God lets sin continue to show its ugliness so that we look at that and we go, Sin is ugly. Um, God permits evil to increase as a punishment of sin. God gave them over. And that's happening here. Uh, we're, we're, we're experiencing this in our day. God is just letting us go into our sin as punishment for our sin. And so we're getting further and further away, and we're seeing more of the, 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 the craziness that you can't call a little boy a little boy. That's punishment from God. That's letting... Our sin punish us. Uh, let's give another one up there. God allows evildoers to have their fling to make their overthrow more spectacular. Uh, you could say the Assyrians. God allows all this evil to display his own greatness and glory in defeating his enemies because sooner or later uh, he's going to defeat every all sin everywhere. God at times uses the ungodly to discipline his own people, but God only seems to sleep. There comes a time when he wakes up in judgment. So, here is the end of the ungodly. You see this in God's sanctuary. When you gain all the facts, you begin to think biblically. You get understanding. And how this man now kicks himself for how uh, envious he was of the wicked now that he sees their end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, there's so much here, so much here. For, we just need time to personally get into it and let it seep into our souls. Thank you, Father, that you reveal you reveal the end to us and you show us where the ungodly path will take us or where the godly believing path will take us. It will take us to your goodness. It will show us your goodness, Lord. Thank you for our time here. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.